As we dive into summer here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, we are also taking a deep dive into the book of Colossians. As modern Christians, we face pressures and influences that will shape how we move throughout the world. The church in Colossae faced similar influences. The Apostle Paul wrote to them, and by extension us, to remind and encourage that amidst the confusion of the age, we can be made complete by focusing on Christ. If you are interested in learning more about Jesus, Christianity, or the faith community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, I encourage you to reach out to us on our website, ccgf.org. Our pastors and staff would love to connect with you and assist you in your experience with Christ. Here is the message from this past week. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you all through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be with you on this Pentecost Sunday. Good morning. My name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're new here today, we welcome you. We're so glad you're with us. And, and we pray that God will meet you, if he hasn't already, in the midst of the remainder of this worship service. We have been moving through what we're referring to kind of as the year of Jesus. You may say, wow, this church has one year of Jesus. No, we actually do that every year. But I've really been making a big deal that all of our sermons this year, all of our sermon series, are focused specifically really sharply on the person of Jesus Christ. So if you go back in time this year, and all these are on YouTube if you're interested in checking them out, if you missed anything, we started out talking about the way of Jesus Christ this year. And then we moved into a deep dive on on the lamb of Jesus Christ, looking at Jesus as the lamb of God. We just wrapped up a series where we were looking at Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament, which I thought was really interesting. And then now we're going to go through the New Testament book, of Colossians. And we're going to see what God might show us through Colossians about the person of Jesus Christ. So let's just give a little background on the book of Colossians as we dive in and we begin this new series today. Let me show you a map first of the ancient world. Uh, I don't know if you can see this real clearly. You can Google something like this, but we wanted to show you just where Colossae, the home of the Colossians, was. And actually, it's an ancient burial site. You can go there today. It's still there. And you can see, if you look at that map, if your eyes are really good, you can see Philippi and you can see Ephesus. You can see a lot of familiar places that we know from the Bible times. They're all kind of clustered there. We're talking about a place called Colossae today and the people who live there, the Colossians. Now, check this out. You can take that down. Thank you. Um, there was a guy who grew up in Colossae. His name, you've heard it already read by AK, was Epaphras. And Epaphras went outside of his hometown and he heard about Jesus. He heard the gospel and he believed. Not only he believed, he said, you know, I'm going to tell other people about this. He went back to his hometown. How about that for an idea, by the way? He told other people about Jesus, went back to his hometown, and they started a church there. They planted the church in Colossae, and it started to grow. Man, Epaphras, what a guy, right? He did that. By God's grace, shared the message of the gospel, which had affected his life, and the church there began to grow. Now, one thing you have to know about ancient Colossae was it was very near in proximity to an ancient highway called the Persian Royal Road, okay? This is pertinent because given the proximity of the Colossian people to the the ancient Persian royal road, they had all sorts of people coming into their community. You know, 
it was a place like where they have one of those loves truck stops, right? And people had to stop there and come through town. And so it was a diverse place. Colossae was very diverse. There were people coming from everywhere there. Not only that, they were kind of privy to all the latest ideas, all the new thinkings and and belief systems were coming into Colossae at that time because of their proximity to the, the, the royal road. Now, out of this, there was a problem that arose in the church, that new church in Colossae, there was a problem that arose. I'm giving you the background here, okay? And, and the, the existence of the new ideas, that wasn't necessarily the problem. The problem wasn't the existence of the new ideas. The problem actually was within the church at Colossae. The problem was within the church. And the problem was this. The people were being influenced more than they knew. They're being influenced more than they knew by the spirit of the age. All the new ideas that were coming into them, they were being influenced by it, and Epaphras was really concerned about this. This is referred to, if you're a Bible scholar kind of person, you might have heard of this. This was known as the Colossian heresy. The Colossian heresy. And so this was a problem in Colossae at this time, and and it's represented throughout the letter of Colossians. We're going to see this as we go on this nine-week journey of going through the book of Colossians. And, and what was happening is the gospel was being blended with other ideas. The gospel of Jesus Christ was being blended, for instance, with asceticism. The gospel of Jesus Christ was being blended with angel worship. That's addressed here. The gospel was being blended with rule-keeping. All of this crept into the church. Look at Colossians 2.8. We're going to go here in a couple weeks, but look at this today. Colossians 2.8 says this. Paul addresses the Colossian heresy. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. That's an important little piece there. Make sure no one takes you captive. No one takes control of you. No one affects your mind through their hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. That that verse kind of describes what the problem is in Colossae at this time. And, And the thing that's happening, this blending of ideas has a name. It's called syncretism. Syncretism, the words on the, on the screen there for you. And syncretism is the merging of two or more ideology, ideologies together. It's the blending of and combining of different belief systems. And that's what was happening in Colossae. Well, this really got Epaphras concerned. He was so concerned about this that he journeyed a thousand miles a big deal back in those days. He journeyed a thousand miles to go and seek out the apostle Paul. Paul was in prison. And, and Epaphras went to Paul and he said, listen, I know you haven't been to Colossae, but I want to tell you about what's happening here. We've planted a church. It's growing. But now there's this syncretism that's coming to the church and people are confused. People are wondering if, if they're missing out on some other ideas. And the gospel is no longer the pure gospel. People have all these different ideas. And so he asked Paul 
to write a letter. A letter that would encourage. A letter that would, would bring them instruction. And that's what he did. And that's what we're looking at here today. The book of Colossians. Now I want to tell you. I believe that this letter, this epistle that we're going to look at, Colossians, though it was written almost 2,000 years ago, is incredibly pertinent to us today. It's, it's unbelievable. You know, we live in a time where we have a highway. We have a highway that runs into the, the palm of every person and provides all the latest ideas to us. It's right there. More accessible than the Persian Royal Road. We have a highway, an information highway, that runs right to our fingertips. You feel that today? That, that's happening. And through this, well, we're exposed to all sorts of ideas. Materialism, individualism, new age philosophy. We could go on. We have our own version of syncretism that is impacting the church today. The merging of two or more ideologies in, into one. The combining of beliefs. And I would suggest this to you, and this is a premise really for the whole series. I'd suggest this to you. Christians are being influenced more than we know. More than we know. By the spirit of the age. And so here's what's at stake. This, what's at stake is the beauty and the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to look at this letter. And you know, it's, it's not much different than in the day of Epaphras. He was concerned about what was happening in the church and the blending of these ideas. And so Paul's words are important for us today. Why don't we go there? Let's take a look at this. So let's pick up. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. If you're using a digital version of the Bible, that's cool too. Take some notes. Write down some thoughts. Maybe ask yourself some questions. You can go reflect on those. Let's pick up in Colossians 1, verse 1, the Word of God. The Scripture says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, Jesus Christ. Now listen, I want to point something out. You, know, we, you might want to blow by. We're tempted to blow by these words of introduction. The, hey, how are you? I'm Paul. Don't blow by it. Because there's always something here in God's word for us. And I just want to point out one thing to you. You know, I noticed this this week. He doesn't refer to Jesus as Jesus Christ. We're familiar with that. No, instead, he refers to Jesus in what might be a novel way. He describes him as, he calls him, Christ Jesus, not Jesus Christ, but Christ Jesus. He puts the Christ first. And I believe this is emblematic of his whole message to the Colossians in light of the syncretism that's going on in their culture. He's saying, listen, Jesus is not just a man. Jesus Christ is God. He is Christ Jesus. Christ means Messiah. He is the one who delivers us. He is God in the flesh. Christ Jesus is the one we're talking about here. That's a great message for all of us today. You know, you, you might be wondering about Jesus. I know this is represented in our people and anyone who's listening, even online. I know there are people who are wondering, you know, is Jesus just a historical figure? Was he just a great teacher? Was he, was he simply a prophet? Listen, the scripture is clear. He is 
Christ Jesus. I'm going to start signing my emails with that. In Christ Jesus. The Messiah Jesus. I want to put that first to remind myself, to remind you. And I would say this to you today. I believe that God today is speaking to you through even those two words. He is Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, the one who is the Messiah, He desires to become personal to you. Personal. He wants you to see Him as the one who can deliver you. He wants you to see Him as the one who is God in the flesh. And so I encourage you, and I pray today, that you will be visited by the power, touched by the love and the grace and the power of Christ Jesus. Let's keep going in this letter, okay? So he continues and says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes back to that when we pray for you. You know, I want to stop there. You might think, well, Paul, he's probably fired up. He's probably really angry about what's happening in Colossae. He's really going to give it to him. You know, not at all. He actually, his tone is incredibly encouraging. In fact, his tone is a tone of gratitude. And I counted up this week. There are at least five times in the letter to the Colossians where Paul expresses thanksgiving. That's his attitude. That's his tone. He's thankful for them. And it made me think, hey, I'm thankful for this church. And I just want to take a moment and say, as your pastor, I am really thankful for the people of Christ Church. AK reference, we're a family of families. Now think about this group of people, and I think, you know, you are so welcoming to people who come into our church. I hear evidence of it. I see evidence of it. And that is a good thing. We should be known for welcoming people with the hospitality, with the welcome of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for that in you. I'm thankful that you are the kind of people who are so willing to serve. In fact, just to remind you, we have an opportunity coming up to serve Vacation Bible School. It's going to be happening here in just a few weeks, Vacation Bible School. If you're not familiar with that, that's a deal where we like play games with kids. We, we have music. There's all kind of crazy and silly stuff that happens. But it's all there to teach about the gospel of Jesus Christ to children. We love this opportunity. It's one of the biggest weeks of the year. Quite honestly, I think it's the church at its best. And, and because it's so important, because teaching kids about the gospel is so important, I'm going to set aside a week of my work to be present and active and available to be a part of this. And I would hope you would do the same thing too. I'm thankful for your service, and I pray that you will go sign up in the, in the comments today and be a part of Vacation Bible School. I'm thankful for how this church serves. I'm thankful for the generosity that you display when we say, hey, let's give to the Ukrainian people. When we say, let's, let's support uh, Pine Valley Camp, I'm grateful for the welcome, for the hospitality, for the generosity display. Like Paul, I want to pick up on that and say, I am thankful. And so, so Paul expresses his thanksgiving to God, and he says, here's why I'm thankful. Because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, and the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring up from the hope stored for you in heaven about which you have already heard and the true message of the gospel that has come to you. That part's important. It's pointed. Paul says, listen, this is the true message of the gospel. He's reminding them of that. And I believe that's because they were wondering, is what we have heard the real gospel? Is what we have heard the real deal? 
You know, did Epaphras hold out on us when he shared this gospel, when he shared this teaching, this message with us? They were wondering about that because they're hearing all these new ideas. And they're wondering if they were missing out. They're wondering if they heard the whole thing. You know, the pastors and I, we often talk about the importance of being the real deal. That's important in today's world. When you see me up there, you're probably wondering, is this guy for real? Can I trust him? And people wonder that about you also. When you talk about prayers in your life and you share scriptures and, and they see you as a person who, who sees faith as of importance in their life, they wonder, are you the real deal? Are you living this out? Does the walk match the talk, right? That's important. Are you the real deal? These Colossians were wondering, is this message the real deal? And Paul says, listen, I want you to know it's the real deal and here's how you can know. There's three big things that are evidence, that are proof that it is the real thing and it's taking root in you. And here's what they are. It is faith, love, and hope. You see this over and over again. Paul goes to these three over and over again in the scripture. He says, tell you what, you can trust that it's the real deal because in your life, there is evidence of faith, of love, and of hope. Let's talk about those briefly each, okay? First of all, faith. You know, faith is the evidence of grace in a person's life. That's a faith. It's the evidence of, of grace in a person's life. And I would ask you this morning, do you have faith? First of all, do you have saving faith? Do you trust in the truth that Jesus Christ, God's Son, is the Messiah? He is Christ Jesus. That He lived His life as an example and gave up His life as a sacrifice to pay for sins so that you and I might be reconnected to God the Father and to prove all this, to seal all this, he rose again from the dead. Do you have faith in that great truth? Faith is an evidence. And one of the ways, one of the markers of someone who's been affected by the true message of the gospel is you will have faith. Saving faith, yes. You will also have the kind of faith that you can apply to situations. When you face challenges, when you face difficulties, you will have faith. It's an evidence of the gospel, the true message, right? Love is as well. And he, he defines the love that he's talking about. He says that he, these are, this is love that people have, the Colossians have, for all God's people. It's a love that defies boundaries. That also is the evidence of grace in a person's life. They had the kind of faith that was expressed in love. And I'll tell you what, I believe the world needs to see this from Christians, from people who follow Jesus today as much as we ever have. You know, as a kid, I remember them singing a song in the church, they will know we are Christians by our love. And I'm not just talking about love for, for the people in this congregation. By the way, that could be difficult enough, can't it? Loving even people in your own family, your own church family could be difficult enough. But it goes much broader than that. It says, look, this is for all people who follow Jesus, who, who are true followers of the true message of the gospel. And so this goes beyond, it goes beyond cultural lines. It goes beyond racial lines. This is a love that we are called to have if we are true followers of the true gospel. Our lives should be marked by love, love for one another. I pray we'll grow in that. 
Because the world needs to see that message. In a world that's divided by race, it needs to see Christians who, regardless of race, love one another, doesn't it? And so we pray that we will grow to be that kind of people, that it'll be that kind of evidence. Paul saw it. He heard about it in the Colossian people. He saw them having that kind of love. They had faith. They had love. They had been affected by the true gospel. And they also had hope. And hope's an important one. Hope in an ultimate future is the evidence of grace in a person's life. They had a hope, not just in that it might not rain today, not that kind of hope, not just hope that the stock market would turn around, but please God, let the stock market turn around, please, and, and the economy, right? That, not just that kind of hope. They had hope that was, was off into a distant or not so distant future, an ultimate hope in eternity. And you might think, well, they had, they had faith and they had love, therefore they had hope. No, it's, it's reversed. They had hope. They had an ultimate hope. In an eternity with God their Father, that was secure, and so therefore they had faith from moment to moment. Therefore they loved one another because they had this ultimate hope. Do you see it? These Christians were marked by faith and love and hope. And this was an evidence this was an encouragement to them. They weren't missing out. They had heard the true gospel. May it be so for you and I. Now, Paul picks back up, and he says this. He says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. You know, again, the Colossians, with their highway and all the new ideas coming to them, they were having doubts, evidently. They were doubting. Is this, is this really the message for us? Is this the thing we should really hang our lives on? I think this is a pertinent thing today. You know, I've heard, and perhaps you've heard about this too, one of the big things that's happening among Christians is deconstruction. And the deconstruction of faith, I think, first of all, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. People are having doubts. And here's what Paul said to the Colossians. He said, listen, if you're having your doubts, look outside yourself. Get out of your own head and look up and see this, that in the world, the gospel is blossoming. It's like a beautiful garden where all the flowers are coming to life. There's beauty all around. The gospel is growing. It grows in any soil. It's always fruitful. He says, if, and if you can't see that, well, then look no further than your boy Epaphras, who has this great hope in him, who is a person who has faith, is a person who has loved you well. It is the example. It is the, it is the fruit of the gospel. He says, listen, if you have doubts, Look outside yourself. I went through a season in my life several years ago where I was having doubt. You ever gone through something like this? I know that a number of you have. And here's the, it was weird. I would be driving home from work. I'm a minister. I was driving home from work, leaving the church, and it was almost like for months I was attacked in my mind with thoughts of doubt about what I was doing and, and my faith. I mean, it was crazy. I, it was like a spiritual attack. You ever have something like that? And I remember in the midst of that, 
as I kind of got past being freaked out by those thoughts of what's wrong with me, and even started to pray about and ask God to help me, I remember God directing my thoughts to exactly what he directs, Paul directs their thoughts to, which is this. Hey, Craig, look around. Consider all the testimonies you hear about people who've been impacted by the gospel. I had a chance to sit and hear many testimonies, many examples of people have been affected and, and impacted by the love of God through Jesus Christ. He said, look at those examples. He called me to look at the people that I, that I admire and I look up to, and he said, do you see the fruit in their lives? The gospel is bigger than just what's going in your life. It is real, and you can see it through the evidence of, of this gospel and all the people around you that you know, even not only here in America, but, but in Africa. And people you know in Central America, the gospel is blossoming. I say that to you today. If you're deconstructing, if you've got doubts, I would encourage you to get out of your own head and look up and see that the gospel is bearing fruit. Not only now, but it has been for hundreds and hundreds of years. There's evidence of faith. There's evidence of love. There's evidence of hope in God's people. He addresses their doubts, the doubts from all the information that's swirling around them. And then he says this, he says, for this reason, because of the doubts you're, you have, because of the confusion, you're wondering, is this the real deal? For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. He always is like showing us how important prayer is. I don't know as brief you call you to this. Listen, there are a lot of things happening in church. There's vacation Bible school. There's, there's summer camps. We have AMPT coming up. We have the summit coming up for our high school students. We have Pine Valley, who's going to be ministering to kids all summer long. We got Urban Impact. They have Man Up coming up next week, right? There's all, we should be praying. Praying that, that God will speak to people, that the gospel will be, will be clear and it'll be received and that doubts will be swept away. And people who wonder about all the latest ideas and where they fit in will see that, that Jesus is truly the answer. We should be praying for these things. In fact, we're going to be a part of something this summer. We could pray for the whole city together on one day on July 10th. Have you heard about this? Pittsburgh Press. Churches from around the city. We have a chance to love one another. Coming together, praying at Heinz Field, 1 o'clock on July 10th. Our church is going to be a part of it. We're going to, in fact, have one service that day. Just one worship service. Everyone together, 10 a.m. on July 10th here. We'll have box lunches afterwards, and then we're going to load up on buses. We have multiple buses. We're going to load up on buses, and we're going to go to Heinz Field together. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray that Pittsburgh would know the gospel. We're going to worship Jesus. I hope you'll be a part of this. Come on, man. It's going to be fun. We have to be a people of prayer. Paul never stopped praying for the people. That's a challenge for us. And he prayed for him. Here's how I prayed. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every work, growing in the knowledge of God. You know how he prayed for him? He prayed for knowledge. And this is interesting because this was a group of people who were attracted by these new ideas. You ever see like one of those cheesy, you know, weight loss infomercials and they promise you'll lose 50 pounds in, in two weeks or something like that? Something that seems unbelievable. Well, they were being hit with that same kind of thing in terms of, of wisdom and insight, knowing unsearchable things, secret knowledge. 
That's what the highway was bringing to them. We have the same thing in our highway. It promises some special knowledge, some, 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 some personal enlightenment. And he says, listen, here's how we're praying for you. We pray that you will have knowledge. In fact, you do have knowledge. You have all the knowledge you need, all the knowledge you need to mature, to grow in every way through God's Spirit. It is available to you. Listen, you have all the growth, um, everything you need for growth and maturity. When you were born into God's family, by faith in Jesus Christ. You have everything you need for growth and maturity. And that's the point. We'll get to that later in Colossians. Paul says the point is that every person would be presented fully mature in Christ. That's our hope for you. And listen, God gives you all the knowledge, all the enlightenment you need by His Spirit. Tell you what, you want enlightenment? Look no further. Boom, right here. The Word of God. God's general will is here for all of us. You know His specific will? Who you should be married to, where you should go to, to live, where you should, you know, which job you should take. You can check all those things as you pray about them and measure them according to God's Word. The precedence is here for you. And so I pray that if you are like the Colossians, you want some enlightenment. You want knowledge. It's all there for you. All the knowledge you need. It's here for you in God's Word. That's how Paul prays for him. And then he continues his prayer, and he says this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. He says, you want power? You want to see the manifestation of, of some power and to overcome things in your life? Well, again, look no further than this gospel. The gospel has all the power you need. All the power you need. Now, today is Pentecost. And we're celebrating the coming of God's Spirit descending on the church, the birthday of the church. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in every person who believes. That power is available to you. And it's not hocus-pocus power. It's not some kind of power to make you famous. You know what that power is for? It says right in the Scriptures, it's so that you would have great endurance and patience. If you're deconstructing, if you have doubts, if you're trudging through some difficult things, and when I look out here and I see faces, I know many people are, are carrying a weight. Listen, God, through the true message of the gospel, by His Spirit, gives you all the power, all the power you need to persevere, to endure with the ultimate hope of eternity on your mind. Man, what a prayer. He addresses all the information that's coming and says, yeah, 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 I'll have none of that. All the knowledge you need, all the power you need, everything you need to be made complete is here in this gospel. In fact, you know, we're calling this series Complete in Christ. Paul's encouragement is this. His encouragement is don't, don't seek completion in anything, in anyone other than Jesus Christ. There's a key verse for this series it's Ephesians 2.10. I'm actually going to read it to you from a different translation. I'm reading here from the NIV. Um, I'm going to read it to you from the, the, the BSB, which is the Berean Study Bible, a newer version of the Bible, a very good translation, by the way. I encourage you to look it up. The Berean Study Bible reads Colossians 2.10 like this. You have been made complete in Christ. That's Paul's message to the Colossians. And Jesus is the head over every ruler, 
over every authority. That's who Jesus is. He's bigger than every new idea out there. He's bigger than all the the promises the world could offer you. You are complete. You have all the power. You have all the knowledge. You have everything you need for this life through Jesus Christ. That is his message to the Colossians in light of all of the syncretism that's going on around them. He says, no, believe in the pure gospel. It's all you need. So I was wondering, how can I... How can I close this up? And and what I thought I would do is this. I want to speak this prayer that Paul prays for the Colossians over you. I want to pray this prayer just as Paul prayed for the Colossians with the privilege I have of standing up here today over you and over the city of Pittsburgh, really. And ask that God by His Spirit would do the same kind of work that Paul prayed for for that people at that time in this people, in these days. So receive this. Hear these words spoken over you. He says, listen, we continually ask God, oh God, I ask continually that you would fill the people of Christ church. That you would touch this city with the knowledge of your will. The knowledge of your word through all wisdom and understanding. You know, I know that many of you are facing many challenges. You have decisions before you. There are major considerations in your life. I pray that God would fill you with his knowledge. You'll look to his word. That you'll hear his spirit speak to you. That you will have all the wisdom and all the understanding that God provides both by his word and through his spirit. I pray that for you. I pray that this would happen so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. I pray that your life will be overflowing with faith and with love and with hope and eternal hope. And I pray that you would be pleasing to God in every way. That he would strengthen you to do that. And that when you don't feel like you're that way, that you would would pick yourself up again in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus and continue to move forward and to follow the call to live a life worthy of, of the Lord. I pray that you would be strengthened with all power. All power according to God's Spirit working in you. I pray that you would have the power to overcome addiction. I pray you would have the power to face the the things that that are, are, are holding you in fear. I pray that you would have the power to confront the difficulties in your life. I pray that you would have the power to break chains to renew and restore and make whole. And I pray, just as Paul prayed, that you would have patience and endurance as you wait on the Lord. You'd have that kind of power in your life. It's my prayer for for you. It's my prayer for this city. May God be glorified. May the true gospel take root. And, And here's the true gospel. Let's finish off the chapter. Giving thanks, joyful thanks, to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance. You know what? God has qualified you. You know how I often feel? I often feel disqualified. You often feel disqualified, but a thing in your heart, the thoughts in your mind, listen, God, despite the fact that you should be disqualified, that I should be disqualified, has qualified you. He has qualified you by his grace to have his inheritance. It's for you. What a great truth. Not only that, He has rescued us 
from the dominion of darkness. Some of you are like, I didn't know I need rescued. I didn't, need, I didn't know that I need saving. You do. <laughs> and so do I. And listen to what God has done through Jesus Christ. This is for you. He has rescued you from the dominion of darkness, from dark spiritual forces. God in his grace has rescued us. What a picture. That's the truth for you in Jesus Christ. You are rescued and you need it. So do I. He's rescued us and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption. He has paid for us. He has brought us close and we have forgiveness of sins. Through Jesus Christ, I could say this with confidence, you are forgiven. You are rescued. You are qualified through Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, by your grace, by your spirit, make us people who are affected deeply by the true message of the gospel. May we live out faith and love and hope in a world where there's all kind of information and doubts and seeming opportunity. May we stick truly to the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing him, rejecting all the syncretism of our age and clinging only to Jesus, the hope of the world, his message for us. May we take great joy knowing we are rescued by him and his loving grace. Amen.